This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. We are very pleased to welcome to London Live the Deputy Premier of Ontario and the Health Minister here in Ontario, Ms. Christine Elliott. Ms. Elliott, how are you? I'm well, thanks, Mike. How are you? I'm not too bad. How are you getting through this, first off? Well, it's very busy here at the ministry, as you can imagine. The uh, situation is uh, rapidly uh, changing, but we have a great team and we are uh, ready to respond very quickly. Minister Elliott, maybe we start with some of the newest information, because I think a lot of people need perspective on things. We're hearing an awful lot of numbers, whether they're coming from the financial sector, and that has as much as $82 billion in aid that is coming from the federal government. But we find that 23 newly confirmed COVID-19 cases have been reported in this province is that a, a big number to you? I mean, any any number above one is probably big, but how do you perceive 23 today? Well, we are seeing an, an increase in the number of cases day over day, which is uh, why the uh, state of emergency was declared yesterday in order to allow us to be able to close some of the um, organizations that um, we needed to close in order to be able to have the um, social distancing and self-isolation that we needed. So that's why bars and restaurants were closed, unless they were able to offer takeout food, uh, that we needed to uh, close uh, libraries, um, indoor forms of recreation, because it's really important that um, as this um, progresses, that we need to increase our measures to protect people. So it is uh, concerning, yes, but we are taking steps to deal with it. Would you look at 23 as being a number that would have a range to it? I mean, do you go looking at projections from other countries or other provinces even? No, we're really looking at what's happening in Ontario, and we have seen an increase in the number of cases uh, over the last several days, and that is what is um, uh, indicating to the uh, Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. David Williams, here, to recommend the measures that we took yesterday. So we are listening very closely to his recommendations and taking the steps that we need to take as a government to keep the people of Ontario safe. The Deputy Premier and Health Minister here in Ontario, Ms. Christine Elliott, joining us. Minister Elliott, when it comes to things like medication or medical supplies, is there a message you would like to give to people in Ontario? Well, in terms of medication, we want to make sure that uh, we can keep those lines open so that people can can get their medication for uh, for other things, of course, and that they can still go to the grocery store and, and buy food and so on. But we really want people to understand that it is really important, um, I would say, especially for young people right now, too, to avoid large gatherings. We have limited them to groups of 50, but even at that, the smaller the group, the better it is for everyone's um, safety and, and health. Would there be any concern over people saying, I make use of this medication instead of having a month's supply or three months' supply, I'm going to make sure I go out and try and get even more of a supply of that. Is that something you would like to see us maybe not do? 
Well, I, I think that's really up to the medication in question, and I leave it up to the uh, physicians that are treating people to see whether it would be better uh, to order a, perhaps a three-month supply than a one-month supply. But that really depends on the medication that we're dealing with. Uh, we have had shortages of some medications, and so we really want to make sure that everyone needs access to the medication can get it. In other cases, there's a plentiful supply, and if a three-month supply can be ordered under these circumstances, I'm sure that's what physicians are doing. Ontario Deputy Premier and Health Minister Christine Elliott joining us on London Live. Minister Elliott, when it comes to nurses, doctors, other health care workers, what can you tell us about what they have been going through and, and how long they're able to kind of go into the same routine they've had for, say, the last few days? Well, first, I really have to commend our frontline healthcare workers. I think they're doing a wonderful job. Um, both uh, the ones that are working on the job in in hospitals and home care and and elsewhere, but also our uh, public health officials who are also doing an amazing job responding to a myriad of questions and, of course, helping people who are in self-isolation right now remain there by making sure that they have access to medications and food and so on. So um, they are working uh, very diligently, and we want to make sure that they are able to continue to go to work, and that's why we have offered a financial package yesterday of $225 million, part of which will be used to ensure that we can buy more protective, personal protective equipment for them to wear on the job, and in other cases, to help them with childcare expenses now that um, children will not be in school for two weeks post-March break. We want to make sure that they can go to work knowing that their children are going to be well cared for and that they will have the financial resources to pay for that. Minister Elliott, I know you have to get going. One last question, and that being, how is the day of a frontline healthcare worker? Is it much different than it has been? Are you are you in touch with them to find out whether we're seeing overtime needed, things like that? Well, I anticipate that um, overtime will be needed as time goes on. Of course, we want to make sure that our frontline workers get the rest that they need to to be able to continue to carry on in their jobs. So we don't want to um, totally deplete that workforce. However, uh, there likely will be overtime, as I said, and this is something that I am in contact with through the command table that we have set up for healthcare. Uh, we have people reporting on all aspects of it. I was on the line this morning for several hours uh, as we were updated on the, uh, the current state and the issues that we need to deal with in order to make sure that we have the workers and, uh, and the medications that we need. Minister Elliott, thank you so much for the time and for the update. Thank you very much, Mike. Appreciate it. What does serve a purpose is seeing how our border is going to operate because you had people calling for the complete closure. Well, it's easy to say that. It's another thing to do that. It's March break. We still have Canadians who have taken trips and who are away right now and who will at some point be looking to come back, whether they've heeded the advice of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau or not. And we have commerce that needs to be done. We have all kinds of things that need to happen so why don't we look into this more closely 
Joining us right now is someone who is able to shed some great light on this, as a matter of fact, and is able to tell us exactly what, you know, what she sees in making the changes that have been made in the things that uh, have been taking place. And so we would like to wel- welcome Cheryl Camillo to London Live. Cheryl is a professor that deals with these things on a fairly regular basis. Cheryl, Professor Camillo, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Although the circumstances are, are such that we probably prefer not to be having this conversation I'd love to be talking with you about anything else, any of your research papers leading up to last week, anything like that. But, yeah, we've got to address our border right now. Is there anything that stood out to you from the announcement that came from the prime minister earlier today? I am actually impressed with the kind of cooperation that the the Canadian and U.S. authorities have demonstrated by quickly com- quickly developing policy. The policy has been evolving, as we all know. And I think from what we've seen, that they're thoughtfully developing the policy as well. For all the reasons that you just articulated, uh, it is very important to keep commerce going across the borders. We have essential foods, medicines, fuel that across the border, and we need to establish a policy where, where those can continue to move, but we we prevent any community transmission of the virus because, as you were also saying just before, that uh, we still see that, that the virus is peaking and cases are peaking in both the U.S. and Canada, and we need to level that off. When we look at, at that kind of a thing we also have in mind that we've got to make sure that commerce continues and to be able to say okay let's let's let this through but not this through this and this is that something that can even be done at our u.s canada borders it can be it it will take some time to develop the very specific policies and so i encourage everyone to be very patient as authorities and policymakers on both sides of the border are working out the details, especially be patient with the frontline agents at the border crossings. They're most most likely waiting for a policy directive to come down, and they want to implement it consistently. It's really important that it be applied and implemented consistently at every border crossing by every border agent. So we'll need to be patient while they work out the details over the next few hours, even days. We are talking with Professor Cheryl Camillo, and Professor Camillo is a director of the Master of Health Administration program and an assistant professor at the University of Regina campus in Regina, Saskatchewan. How closely are you watching things from not just a Saskatchewan perspective, but from across the country right now? I'm watching it very closely, and I'm particularly interested in the border situation because I did grow up on the U.S.-Canada border, about 200 kilometers kilometers east of London and Patrick Kane's hometown of Buffalo. So I have great personal interest in, in the border being safe on both sides. 
Exactly. And in terms of, of kind of how that border is policed, do you expect to see any further announcements than what we saw today? Or did that basically give at least some guidance for how to move forward and you just wait for the Prime Minister of Canada and the President of the United States to do their, you know, meetings from time to time to, uh, to ensure this is being carried out? At this point, I expect that the meetings will be happening below the elected official level. They'll be happening between U.S. Customs and Borders Control and the Canadian Border Services Agency and perhaps the trade agencies. And we will be seeing announcements with more details so that both businesses and individuals can receive guidance. I'm sure what both sides, both countries are trying to prevent are people showing up at the border only needing to be turned away because they're they're not going to cross the border for essential reasons and the governments on both sides will want to prevent people from doing so so we will be seeing more details come out as kind of a a conclusion to our conversation for right now when we know that they're temporarily restricting all non-essential travel we'll get people wondering okay well my family members who went to florida for march break are they non-essential travel is 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 that something that we've got to kind of make clear? Because I'm not sure that the prime minister really had to spend a, a lot of time on that. But I think we all have questions about it. So in terms of non-essential travel, how would we define that? That's what we're waiting to be issued, is that definition of non-essential and the definition of essential. And uh, the prime minister had a lot to cover today, so it's understandable that he didn't get into those details as I'm said earlier, I'm sure they're being worked out now. And it will be important for answers to those questions to be made publicly available, either in an FAQs document or in other releases, so that somebody who is in Florida now looking to make their way back understands what the rules are. And so somebody who lives on one side of the border but has family on the other side understands whether they can go visit or not. Uh, personally, I, the way I encourage people to think about it is that if you're not involved in commerce, cross-border commerce, then think of it as you're likely only to be able to cross if there's a matter of life or limb. Right. But as far as people who might be away, citizens of Canada, they shouldn't have a problem getting back, right? There's more direction to come on that. From my understanding of the earlier announcements is Canadian citizens will um, certainly be welcomed back to Canada, but I think today's announcement means that there might be more clarification. All right. Well, we really appreciate your time and your insight, Professor Camillo. Thank you so much, and uh, be well. Thanks. Have a good day. Right now, we'd like to welcome Peter Rosluck from Mission Services to London Live. Peter, how are things with you today? Uh, I'm well, and I'm still working from my office, one of the few people in, in, in the office that is. But I'm still here, listening to you well, on the Well, thank you, thank you for getting up and going into work. But like you say, you're one of the few people there, meaning everybody else is kind of trying to work from home as much as possible? So... We, we operate five branches plus our admin office, and, and we're, we've made changes actually in all of the programs. And certainly from the admin office with development and finance, anybody who can work from home is, is working from home. 
Uh, we've uh, actually, effective today, closed our store uh, and have suspended uh, taking donations. And in the other programs, they're all still operating. Emergency shelters are needed whether there's a, a pandemic or not, uh, and those certainly are the most vulnerable in the city. So we're, we're still helping out there. And let's look at something like this, where those emergency shelters have been there for some of the most vulnerable people in our population, and yet their lives continue to be day-by-day survival in a lot of ways. Now when we introduce something like this, what changes? (laughs) Uh, Well, there are changes that you can make and changes that you'd like to make, and uh, uh, changes that uh, it really takes a system to make. So the changes that we've been able to to implement, certainly from our, our staffing and, and what we're doing there, is really um, identifying and, and making aware that hygiene is really important, washing your hands. So we've got the, you know, the signs from the Middlesex Health Unit up and the way you wash hands, reminding people that's really important. Coughing and sneezing etiquette of, of coughing and sneezing into your, into your uh, sleeve. I mean, those little things may seem little, but they, they mean an awful lot. Uh, in terms of social distancing at the, at the men's mission, our capacity there, we've probably got about 150 guys in there um, on a daily basis, and we, we know that we're, we can't have that many people in, in the cafeteria at one time. So we, as well as Salvation Army too, I believe, um, have gone to several different sittings, so we have no more than 50 people in the cafeteria. At one time, we've, we've taken out chairs, taken out tables, made sure that there is, is space available between uh, people and limiting the number and just having more, um, more sittings and cleaning and disinfecting between the sittings. So that's just additional work. Plus more frequent cleaning just around the shelter, around um, uh, places that get touched a lot, handrails and, and doorknobs. Uh, so that's become a more uh, that's become a higher focus. So that's one of the things that that we're doing, uh, screening on intake. Uh, and today we've implemented actually daily screening for people that are already there. So not just uh, new people coming in. Uh, that presents its challenges, and there are unique, um, yeah, unique issues with with emergency shelters, even with the screening. Um, but we're not doing this alone. Uh, we work in a system and are in constant, uh, well, not constant, but frequent daily conversations with the City of London, with the Middlesex London Health Unit, and certainly with all the other uh, organizations in the London Homeless Prevention Network. So um, we're communicating and being brought up to date on what everybody else is doing and trying to make sure that our most vulnerable are being uh, looked after as best we can. Peter Roslow joining us from Mission Services. We know that sometimes supplies can be difficult to come by just normally, and now we've got other things compounding those supplies. How are your supplies doing for basic things like toilet paper, hand sanitizer, that sort of thing? So right now, they're fine. I wasn't aware. I didn't see that tweet early this morning. I sort of laughed when I heard that. That is not an issue for us. I understand right now, uh, and of course that could change, but what we're trying to do is make sure that we've got a, a supply of those uh, of disinfectant sanitizer soap. Um, we're, we're still okay. 
Uh, I know that there are other shelters that uh, where they receive a lot of that through donations. That is becoming a problem. Uh, but there again, that will be a, a collective response. But right now, in terms of those basic things, that's okay. The only, I guess, the one place where we might be um, needing is is bars of soap for for showers. That that potentially is is something, depending on how this how long this lasts. Uh, but right now, we're we're thankful and grateful that we're okay right now. Peter, there are so many meetings that go on that try and think up, okay, well, if this happens, what would we do in this situation? Well, if this happens, what would we do in this situation? How much of that has assisted you for this situation? <laughs> uh, well, we're, um, I, I think I heard another leader today said, um, was told me that we're leading in chaos. So maybe that's a good way of looking at it. <laughs> we're, we're leading in chaos. Things are changing so rapidly. Uh, I think it's it's been very... Um, comforting is not the right word, but it's it's um, really good. Oh, maybe comforting is the good word. Uh, that all agencies, the City of London, the Middlesex London Health Unit, um, Salvation Army Unity Project. I mean, we're we're frequently speaking with them. There is open communication uh, among all the organizations, and uh, I think our intent really is to have a system response as opposed to any one organization doing something. So. Um, if the, that's a long answer to your question. I'm not even sure I got to answer your question. It's been very helpful. <laughs> well, no, I think you bring up a good point in that you put humans on the same team, and we can do a lot of great things. We spend a lot of time on different teams in our world and on different sides. You put us all on the same side. You put us all doing the same thing, and uh, watch out. We'll get some stuff done. So, I, Peter, I, keep doing the good work that you are doing. Thank you so much for the update. Okay. You're welcome. You've been listening to the London Live podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.